Psalm 34, 8. Put that up there, if you will, Psalm 34, 8. I want us to all say this scripture together. It says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, taste and see that the Lord, he is good. You know, there's a lot of things that we can consume out there, right? The world offers a ton of stuff. Mouths. But just beyond that sweet outer layer is a deadly poison that will not go well. And what will happen is it will get into the fiber of our beings in ways that will, in John 10, 10 says, that's going to steal and kill and destroy us. That's Satan's job. That's his desire. That's his goal for your life. The old adage that says, junk in, junk out. Good stuff in, good stuff out. It's the same physically as it is in every possible way, spiritually, in every possible way. All the good stuff in, good stuff's going to go out. But if you put bad stuff in, the bad stuff's going to come out. Because what you consume, listen to me this morning, what you consume will eventually consume you, right? We've heard this phrase before, you are what you eat. So I want us to say this scripture one more time, if you'll put it back up and say it understanding what it's all about based on what I just mentioned. Would you say it with me again? Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Now you see, it's my responsibility and my joy to point you to Jesus every Sunday in our gatherings. And it's my hope that you'll pull up to his banqueting table and feast on him, not just today, but every day. Choose Jesus. His goodness, His holiness, His righteousness, His purity. Set aside the junk food offerings of this world and grab hold of the good stuff in Jesus. Amen? Would you bow your heads and let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this time. We pray, Lord God, that you would take your word and let it be a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. Lord Jesus, we invite you by your spirit to minister that rhema now word to us. Father, that we would lay aside every distraction, that we would consider this message for us, not for someone else, that we would open up our hearts to receive this word that's going to change our lives forever. We need it. We didn't just come here out of habit or out of routine or because it's checking off some sort of box. Father, we want to hear from you. We want to be changed in your presence. We want to be transformed by your word. We want to be instructed and and guided and, and equipped and admonished by your word. Do that, Lord God. Change us today. Help us today. Open up our hearts today to receive this word. We thank you, Lord. In advance of all you're going to do, it's in God's precious name, the Son of Christ, we pray, Jesus. And all God's people said amen. Well, have you ever been to a carnival? How many ever been to a carnival? You know, those... Rock Hill Carnivals, the, daily, the, 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 the yearly carnivals that they have. Have you ever had some of the carnival food? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, they have stuff like deep fried Twinkies. Yeah. Here's another one. Did you know that they have Krispy Kreme donut burgers? Yeah. Picture a hamburger, take the bun away, and put a Krispy Kreme donut on both sides. Oh, yeah, they're hot. They, they, they sell like hotcakes. Krispy Kreme donut, Krispy Kreme hamburgers. 
Did you know that they have deep fried butter? Deep fried butter. You know, I'd probably set up a portable defibrillator booth right next door to that one. Because I would absolutely make a killing on that, and that pun intended, by the way. They even have this. Listen to this. Now, wrap your mind around this. They have a candy bar stuffed inside of a Twinkie, then wrapped in bacon, then dipped in batter, and then fried. Yeah, you can close your mouth now. You're just looking at amazement. Jane, they're going, oh, I can't imagine. She's, I can see this visual. I, I mean, but you, call 911 and just get a gurney ready because I'm headed to the ER after eating that one. Stuff it, stack it, fry it is their motto, I think. If it can be stuffed, stacked, or dipped in batter and fried, you can find it at a carnival. You know, they just need to include an insulin, an insulin needle with each funnel cake. That's all I'm saying. <clears throat> and, I, and I can just imagine right now your neighbor is Googling, where's the nearest carnival to where I am? I know we're going for lunch today, honey. <laughs> going to the carnival. Get me some of that Krispy Kreme burger. I know this stuff sounds good, maybe to some of you, but you'll be paying for it for years to come. <laughs> What's the old adage? It says, a moment on the lips, forever on the... Yeah, some of you know that. A moment on the lips, forever on the... We've been looking at some pretty amazing things surrounding Jesus eating with others. Do you know that Jesus ate a lot in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? A lot of stuff happened when he was hanging out with people eating. We've been encouraged to trade up from what we've been valuing and living out for the greater things that we can experience in Jesus. Last week, we were encouraged to go climb a tree. How many climbed a tree this week, spiritually speaking? How many got along with Jesus, got above the fray and the distractions of the things of this world? We were encouraged to, tr- to, to go climb that tree, the things that we've been valuing and living out. Get above that noise and distraction of our day-to-day so that we can truly see Jesus. But today I want us to turn our attention to the Gospel of John. We're starting in John chapter 12. We're going to continue dining with Jesus. And this was going to be just a one-part sermon today on this particular passage. But the more that I got into it this week, uh, the more I realized that I'm going to have to break this up into at least two Sundays, so that we can leave here in time to go eat. (laughs) Speaking of eating, right? So let's look at John chapter 12. We're going to start in verse 1. It's a familiar passage. It says, six days before the Passover, in other words, six days before Jesus was crucified. So this was just before the events of Easter. Jesus came to Bethany And Bethany was on the outskirts of Jerusalem, by the way. It's just kind of like saying from here to Fort Mill, just right there. Where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had recently raised from the dead. Just, in fact, just the passage before that, you'll read the story of how Lazarus was raised from the dead by Jesus. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Now this dinner was at Simon the leper's house. You'll read about that. You'll read a little bit more about that in Matthew chapter 26. But this is where he was. He was at this Simon who was a Pharisee, by the way. And he was titled Simon the leper. So there's a lot of speculation that Jesus actually healed Simon of this leprosy. And Simon, maybe out of some sort of obligation or appreciation, 
invited Jesus over to this dinner. So here at a dinner at Simon the leper's house, who's given to Jesus honor, we see that Martha was serving. While Lazarus, who had just been raised from the dead, was among those reclining at the table with him. And then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, a fragrant ointment imported from the mountains of India, by the way. It's a very expensive, fragrant perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. Now, let me just explain to you. Don't picture Jesus sitting at the table like we do with the table in front of us and us with our feet underneath the table. Back then, if you notice, it says that they were reclining at the table. What they did was the table was lower than the t- tables that we have to, the, to the, about the level of this right here. And they would actually recline at the table facing this way so that their face was closest to the table and their feet, their legs and all were going out that way, away from the table. So it made it easier for Mary to do this. I find it interesting that Martha was serving and Mary was not serving, at least in the way that, that we think that she should. But she was doing something very important. And so here it is that, G, that Mary was... Um, pouring this expensive perfume on Jesus' feet, and then she wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. I love that part. It's just this beautiful, it was really an act of worship that Mary was doing, and and we'll get into more about Mary next week, but this act of worship, and you know when we worship here this morning, there was a fragrance that Jesus was enjoying, this fragrance of of the worship from our hearts to the Lord, that pure, precious, valuable worship that comes from our heart of appreciation and gratitude for all he's done for us. Oh, he just enjoyed that so much this morning. He just inhaled it and said, oh, that's a sweet, sweet fragrance. But then one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, just days later, in fact, objected and said, why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. Imagine, here's Mary taking this expensive perfume, a year's wages. Think about how much do you make in a year? And take that value of your income and imagine that you're going to go out and buy this vial, this contents of this perfume, however much it was. That's some expensive stuff, isn't it? Now, Judas Iscariot didn't say this because he cared about the poor, by the way. It says it was because he was a thief. Judas Iscariot was the keeper of the money bag, and he used to help himself to what was put into it. I'll take some of that and spend it on me. He thought, that's worth a year's wages. There's a, that could go a long way for me. So in this passage, we see three distinct individuals. There's Martha, there's Mary, and there's Judas. And the Holy Spirit was pointing out for us to look and consider these three people for some reason. Because they might truly be like us, I think, in certain ways. And what we should do about it as we see ourselves in these people. So how do these people remind us of us And I think the answer would be more than you think. So let's dig in. Now, 
I know that a lot of times we see and read in the Bible about Mary and Martha. And they usually seem to come in a package deal, don't they? There's Mary and there's Martha. But just because they were sisters doesn't mean that there was a package deal when it came to their commitment to Jesus. We may read Mary and Martha were both committed, and they were, but things. And I said, I'm not going to have time to do Mary and Judas Iscariot. And so a little voice in the back of my head said, you might want to hold off on that one for Mary and Judas Iscariot for the next couple of weeks. And most of you would say amen to that so that we could be here not as long today because it would have been a pretty long message. And I didn't want to shortchange Martha and what was going on with Martha. So this is going to start out, by the way, congregation, as something encouraging and great, but then it's going to get challenging. So fasten your seatbelts. So here's the encouraging part. Martha, let's talk about Martha. She was a solid believer in Christ. It seems that Martha had a pretty solid commitment to Jesus. When her brother Lazarus died, it was Martha who went to Jesus when he arrived in town to greet him. But as we read in this passage that we're getting ready to read, Mary stayed at home. Two different reactions to the same Savior. The one who believes in me will live, and even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. We're going to stop right there. There's another part where Mary comes out, and you can see some things happen with Lazarus being risen from the dead by Jesus. But we're going to stop right there because I want to focus just on Martha this morning. Now, today, you're going to find plenty of people like Martha in churches. We have a lot of Marthas here. They come every Sunday. Whether the time they lose an hour the night before, whether it's raining and cold, they're coming. Thank you, guys. They love Jesus. They run to him like Martha did. And like Martha, they believe Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. The Marthas of the church serve faithfully. The Marthas of the church are loyal. They're focused. And even though they may face sadness or hardship like Martha did when she lost her brother, they're not easily swayed in their faith in Jesus. They're just rock solid believers and followers of Christ. And I thank God for people like Martha. I thank God for the Marthas of this church. As a pastor, it is a joy to pastor you. Another thing about Martha was that she was responsible. Now, Martha, between the two sisters, she seemed to be the one that would be the more responsible. In her family, if something needed to be done, I imagine that she would have been the one to do it. If a party or a celebration needed to take place, if a dinner needed to be made for some sick person, Martha was the one that did it, not Mary. She was too busy sitting at Jesus' feet and pouring expensive perfume on it. She was too busy staying at home and doing something else while Martha was out gathering the food and taking care of the preparations and doing all the stuff that she needed to do. She was responsible. Today, she would be the one who would have the entire family over for any special event or holiday. 
She would plan the meals. She would decorate the house. She would buy the gifts. She would send out the invitations. She worked tirelessly during the event while the others enjoyed the fruit of her labor. And you're probably thinking of that very one in your family right now, aren't you? And in fact, you may be that very one in your family that does it. It was how Martha was wired and she enjoyed it. But then there was her sister Mary. (laughs) And we'll look more about her next week. But Mary's actions exposed an attitude about Martha that needed to be worked on. We get an insight into this in another encounter Jesus had with Mary and Martha, found in Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 38. It says, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. This is the Martha we know about, that we're talking about this morning. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet, <laughs> listening to what he said. There she is again, doing nothing, supposedly. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Seems like a fair request slash demand. His response was, Martha, Martha. Now, if you say something twice like that, it's a very endearing sort of... He wasn't scolding her. He was actually saying it a very endearing way. Martha, Martha. Like, just, it's okay. You're worried and upset about many things, he said. But few things are needed, or indeed, only one thing. Mary has chosen what is better. I'm not going to take that away from her. So I imagine this was not an isolated incident in Martha's life. I'm sure that many times before, Martha had worked herself silly while Mary didn't lift a finger. Here's Martha working hard, and here's Mary doing nothing but reaping the benefits. Martha would like to sit around as well and just hang out with Jesus, don't you think? Can you relate to all that, Martha, all, all you Marthas out there? Can you understand what I'm talking about? And here's Martha saying, but somebody had to get things done around here, and it's sure not going to be Mary. But you know, instead of supporting Martha in her frustration and putting Mary to work, I find it so interesting that Jesus gently and lovingly corrected Martha. Oh, those teachable moments. Oh, those teachable moments that Jesus gives us if we'll just let him teach us. So while it's a joy to pastor people who are solid in Jesus and dependable and responsible, sometimes things creep in. And we see the flip side of all of this in us, just like we see it in the life of Martha. And by the way, I am just as guilty of this as any one of us today, and this message is for me as much as it is for anybody else. So please understand as I'm preaching this, I'm stepping on my own toes today as well. Is that okay that I can can step on some toes as long as I'm stepping on my own as well? All right, good. So here's the flip side of Martha. Martha had probably developed over time this attitude that says, I'm better than you. And she did it towards her sister. She probably also did it towards others. Kind of, it's just a kind of a a bent in her life. Things like, I've been a Christian longer than you. 
My past is not as jaded with sketchy activities like yours. More on that next week, by the way. I serve in the church and you don't. When I pray, God really listens to me. What I do is much more worthwhile and important than what you do. God, help us. Brace yourself because this is where it's going to get tough today. There's a judgmental arrogance and haughtiness that can sometimes sneak in and subtly take over in our thoughts and in our actions towards others, inside and outside the church, if we're not careful. We look at people through those lenses and we position ourselves as better than others, always looking down on, always talking down to, and always labeling others in ways that have nothing to do with being Christ-like. It's so common in the church, and I'm sure, 100% sure in fact, that it grieves God's heart 100%. Church, we need to be careful. I need to be careful. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to help us to identify these things that are in our hearts and then to deal with them because they're highly unattractive to believers and highly unattractive to unbelievers alike. And they do great damage to the name and the cause of Christ. It's really a form of spiritual pride at his root. Jesus dealt with it constantly with the Pharisees. Proverbs 16, 18 says it this way, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. You know, the opposite of fleshly pride and haughtiness is Christ-like humility and meekness and lowliness. Jesus invites us to be like him in Matthew eleven twenty nine. He's saying this to all of us today. I've read this before, but it's in a different context that I'm going to take it this morning. It says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and then you'll find rest for your souls. You know, there's two things about this passage. First, he says, take my yoke, and I think we focus a lot on that one rather than the and learn from me part. Because we understand take my yoke is to take the heavy stuff off of us that we've been carrying around, our burdens, our frustrations, our struggles, our sin, everything about it. We, we take that and give it to him, and then he gives us his easy yoke, that, that yoke, you know. We kind of like that idea because take the heavy stuff off and put a, a lighter thing on that anybody would want to do that, right? Yeah. But when he says learn from me, I think that's where we kind of shy away from that part of it. And we allow our understanding of that to be kind of vague and kind of like not from, not from me. Because we know when he really, when he's saying learn from me, what he's really, that's code for, he's saying you need to die. You need to change. You need to yield. You need to sacrifice. And that sounds hard. And the flesh hates that. It's just like we're saying in essence, okay, thanks, Jesus. I have it from here. You've taken the load of my sin off of me. And then I've placed me now this yoke of just loving you. Just going to love you and love others. And that's what I'm going to do. I just want the salvation. But, this, but I, really don't want to, I really don't want you to get in there and, re and, and rewire all this stuff. It sounds painful. It sounds hard. It sounds scary. And I'm just not going to do it. 
I'm not going to let you do it. We'll let him be our Savior, but we won't let him be our Lord. We'll let him save us from our sins, but he won't, we won't allow him to transform us into his image, into the way that he is. We'll take heaven every day of the week, but we'd rather just coast there without having to give up the stuff we've accumulated of our attitudes and our habits and our lifestyles. It's sad. And the worst of these type of people are those who are like Martha. They cloak their pride and their arrogance and their haughtiness in a robe of spiritual superiority and religious pretense. And I'm paraphrasing this right now, but in the Bible, it says, I think it makes Jesus kind of spit up a little bit in his mouth when he sees his precious bride be that way. Do you find it exhausting listening to people bragging about themselves all the time? I do. You can count on the conversation quickly turning back to all the great things they've, they've done and all the great ways that they are. It can easily become a battle of comparisons as people try to one-up the other. How many's ever been in a situation like that? I would say enough is enough. Those conversations are absolutely draining. It's really not a conversation, by the way, because a conversation is defined as two people talking. But really what it is, it's a monologue, isn't it? You, they talk and you kind of half listen. It must be nice to be so perfect and have all the answers. Spoiler alert here, by the way, spoiler alert. No one is perfect and no one has all the answers. And by the way, I'm the first in line for that one. Being that way is such a heavy yoke. It's so fake. A week or so ago, we were here doing some retuning of the sound system on a Friday night. And the guy that we brought in has been there, done that with all of that and uh, all that stuff. He knew exactly what was going on. And one of the comments that I made to him was, his name was John. I said, John, um, how come these bigger churches that are on TV and on YouTube and all of that, and you listen to their music and you listen to the, the mix and you listen to all the stuff, and it's just, it's perfect. There's not a bad note. There's no out of rhythm. Everything is tuned up great. I mean, it sounds precise. I said, how can we do that? He says, you can't. I said, how come? He says, because all that's fake. I said, what do you mean? He says, these churches have a quarter million dollar sound systems in their church and they got a quarter million dollar remixing system that they take all the product and they run it through and the guy that's there at the machine just fixes everything and then he puts it out. And from how he gets it to where he puts it out is like night and day difference. He fixes all the bad notes. He fixes all the stuff. And when it comes out, Sounds really good. Sounds perfect. But he said, it's fake. It's fake. I said, well, I don't want to be fake. He says, you know, a lot of churches that can't afford that kind of get frustrated with it because they realize that they can't measure up to that. But really what people are looking for is authentic, not fake, aren't they? And so, worship team, listen to me. I'll take the anointing over excellence every day of the week. 
And I thank you for your dedication. And I thank you for giving your best to the Lord. Um, it's called an auto-tune, by the way. That equipment's called an auto-tune. And, and young people, if you're here today, as you're listening to this, the music that you're listening to on the radio and all of your favorite artists, they sing so good. No, they don't. I would I just imagine you listen to them, you know, before they get run through that auto-tune machine, and they probably sing worse than you, right? And me. They're just awful. But they look pretty, and they, you know, they look the part, so they can create any sort of image that they want to and just run it through the machinery, and out comes this perfect-looking, perfect-sounding person. And by the way, they're not perfect-looking because if you saw them wake up in the morning too, they probably look awful. And they probably sing awful. It's just an image. It's fake. But we do the same thing spiritually, don't we? We're trying to be perfect. And then we say things about people and to people to brag about it. Oh, we get ourselves on social media and say everything's wonderful and all that. No, it's not. No one has a perfect life and no one has all the answers. It's such a heavy yoke, isn't it? It's this heaviness, this fakeness that's about us. And Jesus just wants us to be authentic, to be real. Wouldn't it be easier to just, to just take that yoke that Jesus modeled for us, just to be gentle, to be humble in heart, to be authentic, it's much more attractive to others, by the way. It's being others-minded. It's, it's getting a feel for the room. It's considering others better than yourself. It's being a good listener. It's discerning other circumstances, what they do and, and why they do it. And again, we'll see more of what happened with Mary next week as we see why she did what she did. Jesus saw this propensity in Martha and it came out in this statement that she made. And so he gently corrected her, there's more here, Mary, rather Martha, there's more here, Martha. Let me show you what that more is. And announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. I see these actors and actresses and sports, sports people and they, they, they give these gifts and do these wonderful things. You know what I'm talking about? But then they make sure that their publisher hears about it so that their publisher can put it out there to show them how wonderful and humble they are. No. The flesh wants to be seen and recognized and have the pat on the back and be seen as what a good person. But when you give to the needy, Jesus is saying this, don't even announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward. He says, but when you do give to the needy, when you do these things, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And that's implied there that your reward is going to be in heaven. Openly. In heaven one day. So you don't get the pat on the back here. That's okay. So you don't get the acknowledgement here. It's okay. Our flesh wants the immediate acknowledgement and reward. I get that. But Jesus said instead that we need to hold steady and to wait for his eternal reward. 
I want to thank all you Marthas for the great work that you do here at Faith and for God's kingdom over the years. But I just want to challenge you and warn you to make sure that your motivation is not to get praise from man. Trophies and praise by man will fade and they are fickle. But God's rewards are eternal and they are sure. You know, in fact, I think that we're going to be surprised when we get to heaven at some of the rewards we were barreled out to people that we never imagined would get rewards. Here comes another batch. Here comes another batch. God, you've got to be mistaken because that person, I didn't even see them do one thing. Oh, but they did. They did it in secret. And they did it as unto me. I think we're also going to be surprised from people that are not going to get rewards that we think are going to get it. Oh, here comes that person. They're going to get a ton of rewards, but all they're going to be getting is a participation badge. Barely made it in. Thank you. By the way, you got all your, your rewards on earth. That's what Jesus is saying. Because you see, with Jesus, it's always a heart issue. I'll say it again. With Jesus, it's always a heart issue. Always, 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 always a heart issue. Always. 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 And he called out Martha's heart that day. Oh, that our goals and our priorities would be to always deflect any praise that we ever receive and give it to God and then walk in humility before others. 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, it kind of covers it, doesn't it? Do it all for the glory of God. In other words, don't do it for your glory, but do it for my glory. It's all for his glory, folks. It's not for our glory. We can't handle that glory. We can't handle that praise. That's why we need to give it to God. Our motivation is always, always, always that God would get glory and truly mean it from our hearts. God knows our hearts, and if we truly mean it, and if we allow him to, he can change our hearts to make it so if it isn't so. Here's another teachable moment that Jesus took as he went to a prominent Pharisee's house to eat in Luke chapter 14. Here he is again eating. <clears throat> when he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told in this parable. So he was watching and all these people coming in and he was just observing. Jesus did a lot of observing. He was just watching and the, the rest of the disciples were probably watching all these important people coming in and jockeying for position to find the best seat in the house. The disciples were probably kind of jealous of that, like, well, I sure would like to be them. Jesus is like, man, have I got something to tell them real, real quick. So he says, as a parable, he turned to them and said, listen, when someone invites you to a wedding feast, to a big party, to an important event, don't take the place of honor. Don't walk in and say, well, I'm the, here I, the party has begun. He says, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. So... If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, um, you need to get up and move because this guy's more important than you. Pretty much is what it's saying. Give this person your seat. Then humiliated, you'll have to take the least important place because that's the last seat available. Everyone else has gotten all the rest of the good seats. But when you are invited, take the lowest place. I'm just going to stand over here in the corner. I'm just glad to be invited. Just happy to be here. Then you're going to be honored in the presence 
Oh, by the way, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he'll say to you, friend, move up to the better place. So you're back there in the corner. He said, hey, what you doing over there? You come right here. Now you move <laughs> and let this guy sit down. Then you're going to be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And all those who humble themselves will be exalted. Wow. That's really what happened to Jesus, by the way. He humbled himself. And is he, is he exalted above all creation? Is he not exalted above all? Because he humbled himself more than any other man. Let me ask you, though, be honest with yourself. Don't answer this out loud. Just answer this to yourself. Do you always try to pick the best seat in whatever event that you're in? Do you always try to pick the juiciest chicken breast on the plate? Do you always look for the most prominent visible position to serve in a church or in the community or whatever? You see, our flesh wants to be recognized. Our flesh wants to get the accolades. Our flesh wants to be built up. But that building up will also puff us up with pride if we're not careful. Subtly at first is not to arouse any suspicions. And then we'll justify it by saying, yeah, that was a pretty good thing I did. But after a while, it'll take over and we become consumed by what we've consumed. Better to take the back seat, Jesus says. Better to take the less visible role, Jesus says. Better to prefer your brethren, Jesus says. Better to serve than to be served all with the right heart and all with the right attitude. Better to be like Jesus. Oh, taste and see that the Lord, he is good. Martha was doing some good things for Jesus, <clears throat> but her prideful flesh got in the way of her humble heart. Jesus listened as James and John jockeyed for position in Jesus' kingdom in Matthew chapter 20. And Jesus turned to all of his disciples in another teachable moment and said this starting in verse 25. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them, but not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I would say this morning that it's time for us to trade up from being served to serving. It's time to trade up from being prideful and praised to walking in humility and deflecting praise back to God. The flesh says that's not a trade up, that's a trade down. But God uses the foolish things to confound the wise. It's always opposite in God's kingdom. The first shall be last. The greatest shall be the least. Given it shall be given. It's always opposite. I'm confident that there's teachable moments that are going to take place as soon as we say amen today, by the way. The opportunity is going to be there to always, it's going to be always be there to brag. The opportunity is going to be there to judge. The opportunity is going to be there to be prideful about something. You're going to yank the spotlight off of someone else and place it on yourself just that quick because you're used to it. That's what you do. But Jesus said, learn from me. And the very next thing he said after that, learn from me. As you take that yoke, learn from me. He could have said anything. But he says, learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart. It's like that's the first thing we need to know about ourselves, right? Learn from me. Oh, that's not me, pastor. This sermon is for someone else. I just, I wasted my time here today. Guess what? You just exposed yourself 
as a fake. And that's the problem. If we have the propensity to be this way that we're talking about this morning, we have a really hard time seeing ourselves that way because of the pride. It's self-defeating. The very pride that's so awful in us keeps us from admitting that we are controlled by it. So today, as locked in and solid as you are in Jesus, and I know you are, and as dependable and responsible as you may be like Martha, and I know you are, Jesus is inviting you and me to learn from him today. This is a hard one for so many of us today because we love Jesus and we work for Jesus. But Jesus said to Martha, and he's saying to us today, Martha, Martha, your word. itself in boasting and bragging, judging. Jude described the churchgoers of his day like this in Jude chapter 1 verse 16. He says, these people are grumblers and fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. God help us to be the opposite of that. Lord, that we wouldn't be grumblers, but instead that we would be encouragers. Lord, that we wouldn't be fault finders, but instead that we would see the good. That we wouldn't boast about ourselves, but instead we would boast about you, Lord God. That we wouldn't flatter others so that we can get some, something from them for our own advantage. But instead, Lord, that we would build one another up in the most holy faith. God, help us to be that way. Don't let your heart get hardened and haughty. Church, Martha's out there. If this is you, keep your heart soft and pliable and the master's in the master potter's hands. Let Jesus change your heart. Let him make it humble today. Let him make it gentle and kind and caring for others today. This is a call out to all the Marthas today. It's time to sit at Jesus' feet and let him work on your heart. Would you stand with me this morning and let's pray. <clears throat> Father, this is a tough one today. I really didn't like putting this together. You were giving it to me because it's really calling out my heart in so many ways. Father, I'm sorry. I don't want to be that way. Lord, I feel like I've been a Martha in church all these years dependable. I work hard for you. I'm solid with you. Lord, that's really worked in me. The opportunities to become arrogant, prideful, condescending. I don't want to be like those Pharisees that you battled against the whole time you were ministering from others and turn it on me I know there's a reason why people are the way that they are like Mary the reason they do what they do like Mary Lord I don't want to judge them I want to be ugly towards them I don't want to speak ugly about them think bad thoughts about them Lord I want to love them I want to be an example of what a humble and gentle Christ is.
And I think that's for all of us today. We want that. Lord, there's so many of us in this church, so many of us that are listening here today. We work hard for you. We're locked in with you. We're solid. There's been hardships. There's been struggles. There's been challenges. But it's not swayed us in our faith. If anything, it's grown us in our faith. It's a good thing. Lord, we've given our talents and abilities and possessions, our time, talent, and treasure to you. We've prioritized you in our life. That's a good thing. But like you said in the book of Revelation to the different churches, yet I have this one thing against you. In other words, there's this one thing, there's this this attitude that's there. It was in Mary. Rather, it was in Martha. It was in Martha. This, hey, look at them. What about them? I'm better than them. God, forgive us for this haughtiness, this arrogance, this judgmental attitude. Lord, I'm the first in line here. Forgive me. Forgive me, Lord. Is that anybody else today? Is that anybody else today or is this message just for me? If this message was for you, if you're a Martha, if you're locked in with Jesus and you're dependable, you work hard for him, but there's an attitude that's there. Spiritual pride. Better than someone else. Lord, I pray that you'd help us all to get back to the foot of the cross, to humble ourselves. And to spend time with you so you can minister to our hearts. Mm. Soften our hearts. Change our hearts. Change our hearts. Change our hearts, Lord God. Would you close your eyes and just bow your heads? And we just sing that song one more time that we sang at the end. all of us together the more I seek the 
The more I seek you, everybody sing it, the more I find you. The more I find you. The more. The more I find you. The more I love you. I want to sit at your feet. I want to sit at your feet, drink the cup from your hands, rinse you and breathe, and feel your heart beat. <clears throat> this love is so deep, it's more than I can stand. I melt in your peace. It's overwhelming. I want to sit. I want to sit at your feet. Drink the cup from your head. Lay back against you and breathe. Feel your heart beat. Sing with me this love. This love is so deep. It's more than I can stand. I melt in your peace. It's overwhelming. Lord, we seek you today. Just to sit at your feet, Lord God, as you point out things to us that need to be transformed into your image. Forgive us, Lord God, for our awful attitudes, spiritual arrogance, condescension, to those inside and outside the church. God, soften our hearts. Let the scales fall from our eyes. Help us to see people like you see them. That we would walk in compassion and love towards others. Forgiveness towards others. Humility towards others. Gentleness towards others. Help us to learn from you. Jesus, you were firm when you needed to be. But you were almost always so loving most of the time. Even in you, as you were approaching, as you were approaching being firm, you were you spoke the truth in love. You you were firm, but you did it in love. Jesus, you came to serve and not be served. Lord, we've had some bad models of that in recent years in the body of Christ. These people that show up and look for the spotlight surgery right now to take our eyes out of our sockets and put your eyes in there in place of it so that we can see people through your eyes from this moment on Lord take our hearts and do a transplant right now remove our hard prideful arrogant hearts and replace it with your humble heart Lord, help us to outserve one another here. Help us to out-encourage one another here. Help us to out-bless one another here. Help us to always find that lesser place. And be others-minded. And understand that people are going through stuff. People do what they do for a reason. Like Mary. We'll see that next week. But Lord, this week, every Martha in this place, we repent. And we thank you, Lord, for softening us, 
Help us to see people through your eyes, having a humble heart, gentle and tender towards others. This is a tough one today, but we thank you, Jesus, that (laughs) you love us so much that sometimes you give us hard words. We need these things. Oh, we need them. I don't want to get stuck in any sort of rut here, Lord God, in my walk with you. I just don't. I don't want to justify and say that my attitudes are good and okay and acceptable. No, none of that. Lord, here I am. Here we are. Do what you need to do. Hmm. Do what you need to do. Let's just would just surrender to the Lord whatever you need to do this morning lift up your hands and say I surrender here here's my here's my stuff (laughs) here it is Lord I just pray right now for every Martha in this place that is locked and loaded with you that are dependable and they serve you with all their hearts over the years but Lord you have somewhat odd against us in this place thank you God as we yield to you our our lives, our, our pride, our arrogance, our boasting, our judgmental attitudes, we give that to you. We surrender to you. Now, Lord, we receive from you the things that are of you and replace those things that were there with who you are from this moment on. Help us to exercise that muscle. Oh, thank you, Lord. It's a light yoke. That's a beautiful yoke. That's a learning of you in a good way. Help us, Lord God. Help us. Help us, Holy Spirit. We need this. Desperately, we need this. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord.